0: <laughs> now, how, are you, how are you doing, Will? Hey, not so good since my mama died. Oh, you know, I miss her like a pain. Mm, well, you gotta let that happen. Your mama deserves it. <laughs> your, your pain will heal with time, but you gotta give your mama her due. We gotta miss our mamas. Ain't nobody ever gonna love us like our mamas. You still got your mama with you, Henry? No, she's in Beverly Hills with her second husband. You're a lucky man. Thank you. Uh, next time I see my mama, she's that blind. The most important part of and a year later, she just got one leg from diabetes. And she could have done anything, my mama. She could have been anything. God bless the mama. My mama worked her whole life and never asked for nothing. mama raised seven children. Well, shouldn't we wait for the governor for this? I mean, this pertains to how he's running the campaign even from now. No. <laughs> Listen, he's in a mama that can go on all night in the south. I think we have to figure he's... My mama worked her whole life for her family and, and never did anything for herself and now they're cutting her up, cutting pieces out of her. Why'd that happen to my mom? I looked over Jordan, and what did I see? Coming for (laughs) to carry me home. You know what Richard's favorite song is? You are my sunshine, my only sunshine. You make me happy. How much I love you. Please don't take my sunshine away. (laughs) My dear, dear. As <laughs> I sleep I my sunshine my only sunshine you make me happy I love that a mammothon. on. It is probably one of the best kept secrets for mothers that their children do and eventually will become part of that choir of praise called the Momathon. Because the truth is, it's hard not to love. Your mothers. The interesting thing is, though, that most mothers don't see it. In fact, in a recent poll, 54% of mothers say that they're doing a worse job today than mothers did 20 or 30 years ago. Now, the interesting thing is, 70% of Americans all agree that being a mother today is much more harder than it was 20 or 30 years ago. And yet, mothers still look at it as if they're not good enough. Now, the irony is, mothers today say that, 63% of them say that Fathers are doing a better job than they were doing 20 or 30 years ago. But they can't see what they're doing. Ever since Freud, back in the 1930s, came out and said that mothers were responsible for most of the mental illness in their children... Mothers have just continued to beat up on themselves. They're their worst enemies. And yet, if you ask their children how they see their, their mothers, the majority of them sing their praises. It's interesting. Do you know that on Mother's Day there are more cards that go out than go out on Father's Day? In fact, on Mother's Day more phone calls are made to mothers than are made to fathers on Father's Day. And a recent poll has shown that Children who, who are given attention by their mothers grow up to have stronger conscience, consciences than those who don't. And yet mothers don't see it, but all the evidence points to it. Think of a story of a man who was being interviewed on the discrepancy of mothers and fathers and how fathers get passed over. And um, so they did this interview with him and with his son to, to discuss the phenomena. And, and the man just began by complaining, saying, you know, we pour a lot into our children. You know, we, we teach them how to play ball. Uh, we teach them how to hunt. And we teach them how to, uh, how to build greater social skills. And we're just as equally as important as mothers are. And after he got done speaking, the camera just kind of turned over to the boy to get his reply to it. And when the boy saw the camera was focused on him, he said, Hi, Mom! (laughs) And that's just the way that goes. Uh, This morning, as we look at this new series that I've called Monitoring Your Approach, I want to look at what it means to monitor our approach to motherhood. And particularly, in the area of guilt that mothers carry. I sit with people all week and it's amazing to me that vast majority of mothers take full responsibility for all the bad that happens in their kids. They see themselves as always lacking and not sufficient for the task. And yet, it's never the reality. Or almost never the reality. The reality is, they do a better job than what they think. But there's this disconnect that goes on. And it affects them. It affects them through their tenure their career as mothers raising children into adults but it even affects them later in adulthood because all the mistakes they see their children making they blame themselves and so this morning I want to look at how do you bridge that gap as a mother uh, we're going to look at a passage of scripture. That I think is a pretty good answer to the question. It's found in uh, 1 Kings chapter 17. Um, uh, Let me tell you a little bit about this chapter. Um, Ahab is the king of northern Israel. And he is known as the most wicked of all the kings. In fact, he goes off and he marries a, a Phoenician woman who is... Um, an idolater, a worshiper, a baal, and he just becomes uh, her lapdog. Whatever she wants, she gets. And so the nation of Israel just becomes corrupted. The depravity of Israel is like no other time. And the nation pays for it families begin to fall apart the economy of israel begins to fall apart the confidence of the people in their leaders and in themselves fall into doubt and god doesn't seem to show up anywhere that's the time in which this passage is written well, during this time, a prophet by the name of Elijah comes to the scene and says to Ahab, God isn't going to tolerate this anymore. In fact, the promise that God made in Deuteronomy that if the nation goes astray and turns its back that, that God will remove its blessings. And so he declares. But For the next two years, three years, that God will put a famine upon the land. There won't be enough food, and he'll bring drought to the land. There won't be enough water. And after he declares it to Ahab, God tells him to go and hide. Because it wasn't too much longer after that, that Ahab begins to hunt for him. Now, the interesting thing is, when God sends him off into the same land that is going to have a famine and a drought, God provides for him. In fact, literally, God brings to him his meat from the sky that, that ravens, which were considered unclean animals, delivered for him what he needed. That's where we pick up the story. Sometime later, the brook dried up, because there had been no rain in the land. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Go at once to S- uh, S- 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 I just, Serafath, thank you. I'm, I'm trying to pronounce it with an S. In the region of Sidon and stay there. I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. Now, God is telling him to move closer to the place where Ahab's wife Jezebel is from, which is pretty cool because they're hunting for him and what, is, what does God do? Uh, brings him right in her, the backyard of her neighborhood. But when the, when the creek dries up, he does something interesting. He sends Elijah to a woman. To a woman who's a widow, now, widows were known to be people who lived pretty much in poverty. They weren't known as people who had any great abundance. So he sent him to Zarephath. When he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. He called to her and asked, Would you bring me a little water and a jar so I may have a drink? As she was going to get it, he called and bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in a jug. I am gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat it and die. Now, I want you to just kind of think about this, the the irony. Here comes this prophet of God. He shows up. He sees this woman gathering sticks. It's obvious that this woman has nothing. And he knows that the same drought he's suffering from is the same drought she's suffering from. And he knows that not only does she have very little water, she probably has very little food because you need water to grow grain, to produce bread, to feed cattle. And what does he say to her? Yeah, would you go get me a nice glass of water? And, and while you're at it, would you, would you bring me some bread? And she looks at him and says, are you kidding me? All I got is is just a few crumbs that I was planning to put together so that my son and I could have a last meal. I want you to think about this woman for a minute. You know, it's interesting. When they talk about today that motherhood is uh, harder than it's ever been, it's not hard to imagine. I mean, look at this stuff that you face as a mother when it comes to your children. Uh, Trying to steer them away from drugs. Trying to steer them away from promiscuity. Uh, Trying to monitor the stuff that goes on in their social media. Worrying about your kids going to school and getting bullied. Or someone exploiting them on the internet. People texting them and, and trying to lure them away into sin. Trying to keep up on just what's going on with them technologically so they can know what's going on with them relationally. Living in a time in which society doesn't back you up at all. Raising children in in a time where everything you stand for is being twisted and ripped apart. A couple of weeks ago, I saw Channel 9 was doing this documentary or uh, exposé on this 12-year-old girl's journey to transgender. And I just, my stomach dropped. I thought, you're glorifying something that is ultimately going to destroy her soul, her personality, her character. And yet, you know as well as I do, if you say that in public, then you're a hater. If you teach that to your kids, if they go to public schools, they look at you like you are so out of touch. And, you know, mom, dad, don't, don't say that kind of stuff because, you know, it really, it makes you look like horrid people. We live in a tough time to raise children I'll be honest I'm glad I'm done raising children Um, and yet my heart goes out to those who do and raising children is wonderful but it is harder than it's ever been my my kids never knew the world I grew up in cuz I grew up in a world where when you turned on the TV Laura and Rob Petrie slept in separate beds. I, I grew up in a world where you never worried about what you're going to see on commercials. I, I, I grew up in a world where the message was very strong. Do good things and good things happen. And if you do bad, you'll suffer the consequences. There weren't any anti-heroes. There were heroes and there were villains. And I'm not saying that the world I grew up in didn't have sin. It had plenty of sin. But, but the culture was trying to present a message that brought stability and health to the culture. That's not the culture we live in today. It's hard to be a mom in hard times. Now, think about this woman. She's a woman who's a single mom. For whatever reason, God took her husband. She's a mom who's living In horrid economic times, she can barely make ends meet. She's out picking up sticks and and trying to save crumbs. She's got to be a mom who feels like I've just failed. For whatever reason, God is punishing me. We have no money, we have no husband, father to protect and provide my son is doing horribly and we're just going to die soon and And this has been my life. My life has been nothing but one bad thing after another. And those of you who are single moms, you, you, you know what that feels like. You know what it feels like to all of a sudden have a a husband say, I'm out of here. And yet, You've still got a family. you still have got small kids to raise. And maybe you're one of those moms that the deal was when you became a mom, you were going to be a mom, and, and that was what the vision was, and so you follow through on the vision. but now you're a mom who has to be a provider with out a trade or an education. See, motherhood's always been hard. Because the burden always falls on moms. I can tell you when I was a police officer. Go into juvenile court. Who's bringing Johnny to court? Mom. Not dad. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard mothers say in court, yeah, his father just washed his hands of him. You never hear mothers wash their hands Of their children. This woman was in that same situation. And like every mother, blaming herself, looking at how she has just failed across the board. And now this prophet shows up and says, hey, go fetch me some water. Go get me something to eat. In fact, look what he says. Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as I have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me from what you have and bring it to me. Now, do you see what's going on? Yeah, don't worry about it. But first go make a loaf of bread for me. Really? I got a little bit left for my son and I. And you're saying, oh, it won't be a problem, but make sure I I get my loaf first. What's a mom to do? And then make something for yourselves, for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. She went away and did as Elijah had told her. Now, we don't know if this woman was a person who believed in the God of Israel. In fact, when she says to him yeah as much as your God is God I don't have any. She's talking about his God not hers. And yet like most of the people who lived among the Jews she had heard about the God of Israel. She believed that the God of Elijah was a powerful God who protected and provided for his people. So when he said, The Lord will superintend this, the Lord will take care of this, she went and did as she was told. That's powerful. Because I think most of us would say, hithero, Jack. I'm, I'm not going to take what we have and give it to you. Because then what happens to us afterwards? What, what if you're just some snake charmer promising us things that are never going to happen? And yet in her heart, God has deposited Faith. And she believes. So there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry, in keeping with the word of the Lord spoken by Elijah. Sometime later, the son of the woman who owned the house became ill. He grew worse and worse and finally stopped breathing. She said to Elijah, what do you have against me, man of God? Did you come to remind me of my sin and kill my son? That's motherhood right there. Something goes wrong, who's to blame? Mom. Sometime later, Could have been months, could have been a year, year and a half. Her son gets sick. And automatically she comes to the conclusion it must have been something I did. It must have been my sin. That God sent you here to punish me because I'm not adequate. Because I'm not perfect. Elijah replied. He took him from her arms. Carried him to the upper room where he was staying. And laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord. Lord my God. Have you brought tragedy even on this widow. I am staying with by causing her son to die then he stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the lord lord my god let this boy's life return to him the lord heard elijah's cry and the boy's life returned to him and he lived elijah picked up the child carried him down from the room into the house he gave him to his mother and said look your son is alive then the woman said to Elijah, Now I know that you are a man of God and that the word of the Lord from your mouth is truth. Now, let me just say that that's the first recording in the Bible of any resurrection from the dead. Interesting that he falls on him three times. And Elijah takes the boy... And he brings them before God and he prays for them. Why? Because he knows that this woman's a good woman. I know that God isn't taking out his wrath on her, but I don't understand why God's allowing this. And so in the process, God stretches Elijah's faith and he stretches Elijah's compassion. And when the child is brought back to the mother, the mother sees the power of God's word. Here's a takeaway that I want for you this morning. And I think this is so important when we talk about guilt When successfulness is measured by faithfulness, the result is hopelessness. When successfulness is a measure of our faithfulness, then the result is hopelessness. Why? Because we're measuring our faithfulness According to our abilities. According to the depth of our wisdom. Uh, uh, According to uh, the energy and the power of our efforts. And you know, that's going nowhere. Because you're not smart enough. You're not ever present. Your energy depletes pretty quickly. And if you're going to measure faithfulness by successfulness, you're going to just live a life of hopelessness. And see, God had to allow this to happen to show her that what happened to her son had nothing to do with her faithfulness. She was a faithful mother, even to the end. She was going to make a meal so that at least he'd have a last meal before they died. She was faithful in her willingness to believe in the power of the God of Israel. But somehow she allowed success of the world to determine her faithfulness. And so all hope died. And God had to show her. Hope doesn't come from your success. Faithfulness can't be measured by successfulness. Let's put it another way. Grace reveals the good that guilt conceals. Grace reveals the good that guilt conceals. God was teaching this woman, you have to walk in grace. You have to walk in trust and faith in me. You cannot walk in your abilities. You can't judge the world by, or your ability to be a parent, to be what God wants you to be based upon your power and your skill, or based upon your guilt and your sin. If you're going to be a mom who walks in a sense of balance, who walks in an understanding that I'm not perfect, and yet I'm useful, because God has made me useful through his grace, That even though I might have a whole bunch of things to feel guilty about, God isn't in the guilt game. God gives us grace to say, look, it's okay. And even though you're flawed and feeble, it's okay. You're good enough because I've made you good enough. And I've purposed you to do what my will would have you to do. If you're a mom and you love your child, you're fine. If you're a mom and you understand God's grace and you turn yourself over to that grace, You're right where you need to be. But if you're a mom living in guilt, it means that you're judging things by your abilities and by your ability to be successful and successfulness only breeds hopelessness because you're not that good. Not on your own. What do you do when your kid starts taking drugs? I heard a wonderful story recently about a mom whose son kind of went off the rails. They came from another culture. And he started hanging out with some gang kids and just going out and doing stupid things every night. And they were living in and big time fear because they were immigrants and all the problems that that could bring for him and for them and just the fear of they've come to this country and now their son is falling apart. And you know what that mom did? When her son was out, she got on her knees and stayed by the door every night and prayed for him until he came home. She turned him over to God. And yet she did her peace. Can you imagine being that kid? Going out and harassing and running around and running and gunning with your friends and and have to come home every night till a mom was by the door on her knees? I mean, after a while that's got to weigh you down with guilt. And it did. And it turned his life around. And now he's in the ministry. We lean on God's grace, not on our abilities. If you're going to feel guilty for everything that happens, then you're going to have to claim success for all the good that your kids do. And all of it comes from God's grace, not from you. How How do we walk in that? Let me just share with you three things. Number one, on the to-do list of grace, don't fixate on the past. You can't fix the past. You can't change it. You don't have to figure out whether you're to blame or not to blame. Because there are some things you're never going to understand. There are pieces to puzzles you're not going to get. I watch mom who moms whose children grow up to be uh, um, bipolar or severely uh, disabled or autistic um, and they're always looking for how did this happen? Was it the doctors was it the nurse did i did I not take the right kind of medicine or was I eating the right food or did I have too much chocolate or too much you know, I said be a couple weeks ago, men don't do that. Men don't even think that way. I have a child that just keeps getting in trouble. Bad seed, that's all. We don't think maybe I did something wrong. But women, ah, oh, the guilt, the heap. Don't fixate on the past. Let it go. The only people who live in the past are the dead. Number two, don't force the future. You can't run around fixing everything. You can't stop your kids from experiencing pain. I watch mothers whose kids are in their 20s and 30s and they're still trying to fix it and force it into shape. You will be successful. And they barely sleep. And they put this burden on themselves. And what ends up happening is they stress themselves out because all boundaries get messed up. They never have futures because they're they're trying to live their kids' futures. And you can't do that. You raise your children and you love them and you're there for them. But once they become adults, you let God guide them. You can't force it. It doesn't work. Grace requires faith. And grace produces it. But we've got to walk in it. Number three, follow in the moments. Get your eyes off of your children and onto God. Walk with God in the moments. And if you do, he'll show you how to be a good wife. He'll show you how to be a good mother. He'll show you how to be a good employee, a good neighbor, a good friend. And he'll show your children what faithfulness looks like. Because otherwise if we live in guilt, all our children will see is negativity. All they'll see is blame. All they'll feel is hopelessness. And the God we believe in will seem powerless. And so moms, my hope for you, free yourself up. God Does not want you to walk around guilty. God does not want you to walk around neurotic. God does not want you walking around trying to take his place. Do your best. Love and serve him. And let go and relax. And know that God is good. And God is God and he will have his way. Jesus said, those of you who are evil and yet when your children ask you for a fish, you don't give them a serpent. If you who are evil know how to love your children, how much more does your heavenly father We forget that. God loves my children more than I do. God is on top of what's going on with them. God is speaking to them in ways that I can't speak. I can exemplify, but that's about as powerful as it gets. There's a saying that Perfect housewives who keep clean, immaculate homes have children who play in other people's yards. That's not what God intended. God intended you to love and serve your children but only after him. And truth, be told after your spouse, and when you do that, you'll be a blessing. His father was showing some pictures to his daughter when she was about five years old, and just pictures of their wedding and and um you know the bridesmaid and showing you know her mom and 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 the little girl looked at all this and and he said, Daddy, is that when we got mommy to come work for us? (laughs) That's not your job. Monitor your approach, be a whole woman, be a mom who gives her best. And let's God worry about the rest. Let's pray.